0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. Well, what is up, Generations Church? You know, when we gathered together in person, uh, I took it for granted that right about that spot, you would go, woo! or some kind of noise to let me know that you are good and awake. So I may not be able to hear you with my natural ears, but I'd love for you to make some noise right now. Let me know you're here. Let me know you're with us this morning, Generations Church. I saw a picture just a little bit ago on Facebook where we've got a group from our church that's camping and uh, they're, they're watching together under an awning there somewhere at the campsite. And uh, wherever you are tuning in from, we just want to say thank you for taking part of your Sunday morning to be with us. Uh, we say it every single week, just about. But uh, we never take it for granted when you choose to spend some time with us on Sundays. And so we're glad that you're here, uh, even in this kind of format, man. It's, it's amazing how over the last few weeks and months, uh, as we have adapted our method for uh, being together and for presenting the gospel and worshiping together. How many new people have really connected to us? And so if I've not had the chance to meet you in person, maybe you already know this, but my name is Jeremy and I'm the pastor here at Generations Church. And I'm just glad that you have chosen to be with us this morning as well. We've had uh, just a ton of new people over the last few weeks and months that have started watching, who have been commenting like, hey, I can't wait to meet you guys in person. They're just names and comments right now, but soon we'll be able to put faces with those names. Some of you have begun giving and you've never walked in the doors of Generations Church at our physical location and again we just want to say thank you for participating and being a part of our online service here on this Sunday morning. You know, it's it's been a crazy couple of weeks over the last few weeks as we prepare to gather together in person and again, I've said each of the last few weeks I hope to give you more a more definitive answer in the coming days and that's still what I'm going to tell you today. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but hopefully within the next couple of days, uh, we're going to get our final CO, our final inspection and and we'll be able to give you a definitive time when we're going to gather together. Uh, and, and so hopefully that will be very, very soon. I can't wait to see your face. And uh, we may, may not be able to hug or high-five yet, but I'll elbow bump you. I'll air high-five you. Uh, but I've been praying for you. I miss you like crazy. And uh, and I'm thankful for the opportunities that we do have to gather together. And we're beginning to see more and more of that. Some of our G groups are gathering together. Uh, our teams are gathering together to prepare for uh, our reopening of our facility. I know that our Generation Youth, uh, they have a pool Party, I think this Wednesday night, and so we're beginning to create these opportunities for us to be together in person, and so I'm excited about that. You know, today we are concluding a series that we started just a few weeks ago called New Normal, and we talked about the idea that for all of us, no matter how much we want to go back to normal, there is no going back. So much around us has changed. I was reading just yesterday about just the way that the economy has been reshaped. And I saw where uh, about a 1,000 of the 3,000 malls in the United States will probably be closed at some point within the next 12 to 18 months because of the number of stores, the number of retailers that have gone out of business or have declared that they're going to close some stores uh, throughout the country. And so uh, all of those facilities will be reshaped and reimagined. I saw where Starbucks is closing 400 stores through the remainder of 2020. I I just see where a number of the companies and the stores and the retailers Retailers and the businesses that I interact with, from small businesses to big box chains, uh, they're reimagining how they're doing life and doing business in the days ahead because there is no going back. We either adapt or we die. And so what we've talked about is for us individually, that's that's true as well. And so we said two weeks ago that God is not just trying to make good people better, and He's not just trying to make bad people good people, He's trying to make dead people alive people. He's trying to make us a new creation as a part of this new normal. Last week, we talked about the idea that not only are we called to be a new creation individually, but we're also called to live in a new community. And the idea is that we are called in relationship to be agents of reconciliation, And to be about the work that God is doing in the world to restore and to redeem and to reconcile man back to himself. And so we have an incredible opportunity to play a role in that. And so my hope is that you are taking seriously the commitment that we made at the end of the message last week as we prayed and asked God to help us to be agents of change, agents of reconciliation. Not to reconcile people to us, not to make everybody our friend. But to say, just as the Apostle Paul said, be reconciled to God. And that's our hope. That's my prayer for you over these last few days and hopefully for the days ahead. So today, as we, as we think about where we want to conclude these three weeks that we've been in this idea of new normal, I want us to look at the new church I think as other organizations are reimagining themselves for us as a church, and maybe you don't view us as an organization, but just as an organization of people, as a gathering of people, as a, as a body of people that are really supposed to be about the same ideals and about the same uh, purpose and, and headed in the same direction as we gather people to us and move in this direction that we believe we're called and destined for uh, in light of God's mercy towards us, like what does the new normal look like for the church? I think about 12 or 13 weeks ago, if you would have asked me that question, I I probably would have answered it differently than I answer it today. There were were some things in my mind that 12 or 13 weeks ago I thought were non-negotiables for the church, but 12 or 13 weeks later, I've really adjusted my view of what those non-negotiables really are. Some of the things that I thought were non-negotiables are actually negotiable. But there are other things that I didn't realize how big a deal they were as it relates to the church. Now, for most of our time today, whenever you hear me say church, I'm not just talking about Generations Church. I'm talking about the Big C Church, and I mean the Church of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm talking about those that are gathered together in some form, and there are people all over the world who can't gather together in person, even as there are those who are gathered together in person in some form. I'm talking about that church. I'm talking about the kingdom of God and its expression as the body of Christ and as the bride of Christ. And so as I think about that for us as Generations Church and how we fit into that, what does the new church look like in the days ahead? You know, it's been a crazy few months for sure, but one of the things that I have been, I want to say impressed with, but even beyond being impressed with it, probably given so much hope about, is that the church is resilient. The church is resilient. Look at this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against so it. Jesus is talking here to one of his disciples. He's talking to the apostle uh, Peter. And as he's talking to him, he's addressing him about something that Peter's just responding. And he says, hey, these words, you didn't come up with them on their own, on your own. And so he says, hey, Peter, listen, uh, upon this rock, and if you look at the original language, the word rock and the word Peter sound very similar. So is he saying, on Peter, I'll build my church? Well, Peter played an important role in the establishment of the first century church. But he's saying on the rock, on the rock of Jesus Christ, perhaps. And, and scholars and theologians have debated, and they've, they've parsed these words so often. But here's the part that I want us to focus on this morning, that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church, However you want to arrive at that statement, however you want to look at the first part of this verse of Scripture, I believe it's important for us to hold to this truth that the church is resilient, not because of our own abilities, not because of our own strength. The church is resilient because the church is the bride of Christ. The church plays an important role in what God is doing in the earth and what God desires to do in the earth. I've shared over the last few weeks that I believe that the enemy is working overtime to detry, try to divide us and to destroy us as the church, as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. There are churches in turmoil, there are Christians in turmoil about all of the things that are taking place around them. But in the midst of all of this, I encourage you to hold to these words of Jesus that the gates of hell shall not prevail. That God is enough for us. As the church, as the global church, as Generations Church, God is orchestrating a plan in the earth, and he's allowing things to take place. But even in the midst of this, we have to know that the church is the hope of the world, not because of ourselves, not because of our own ability, but because we are the bride of Christ. And Jesus Christ himself is coming back for his bride, and so we must be prepared And so we must declare the truth and the good news of the gospel to everyone that we encounter. And so as I think about all of that, and I think about the new normal and the new church, it causes me to reflect back on what was the old church. Where did the church begin? Well, you could go all the way back to the Old Testament. You could go back to the people of God and the Hebrew children and those that were on this journey and how God was establishing a people, and you could see how they were formed among these other groups of people But I think if we go to the New Testament, we see that the teaching of Jesus Christ really laid the foundation for what we understand to be the church because it was the group of people that began following after the teaching, after the life of, after the ministry of Jesus Christ. They were referred to in that first century and and, and beyond as the way. They were followers of the way. They were followers of the way of Jesus Christ. And we really see this pinnacle moment of the establishment of the church in Acts chapter two. And we talked about this just a few weeks ago as we talked about on Pentecost Sunday, which was the last Sunday. Of May, we referenced the idea that on Pentecost Sunday, there was this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God onto a group of people, about 120, that were in the upper room. They were gathered together in unity. They were of one mind and one accord. They were waiting there. They were tarrying there, was a word I heard when I was a kid waiting on the presence of God, waiting on the promises of God. And the Spirit of God was poured out into that upper room, and it it was poured out onto the lives of those who were gathered there. And they spilled out into the streets, and they began to proclaim to all of those who were in the streets, which represented all the nations, all the known languages and tongues of the world at that time, they began to proclaim in those tongues, these unlearned languages to them, the good news of the gospel. And as a part of that presentation of the gospel, Peter, the same guy that walked on water, the same guy who cut off the ear of the soldier who was coming to arrest Jesus, the same guy who denied Jesus three times, who was so afraid to even be included in the number that would follow after Jesus, he stands with boldness under the power of God and he declares this incredible sermon, this incredible truth that they should repent and be baptized. Look at this in Acts chapter two, beginning in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Repent, he said, and you will be forgiven. And he declares that this promise is for you and your children. You might even say it was for generations. And it was for all who are far off. Right there where you're at, everybody say the word all. I think I heard you right there. But all who are far off, not just some who are far off, not just those that we know about who are far off, but all who are far off can repent and be forgiven. And we believe that when they repent and are forgiven, that their life takes on a whole new trajectory That their life is then destined for the purposes that God has called them to. And as they commit themselves and point their arrow towards Jesus Christ and attempt to live in such a way where they're continuing to allow him to work in their hearts and work in their lives, which we've been talking about over the last few weeks, that for generations and generations after them, the story will change. They don't have to be bound by those things that have tripped up the generations before them. They can live on purpose in the things that God has destined for them in their life and for the generations to come. So they responded and thousands were added to the church that one single day. That's how the church really began. The apostles began traveling to help all of these new believers grow in knowledge and in wisdom. And then look at what happens. We begin to see here, even at the, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we begin to see the formation of the church. I'm talking about like the actual nuts and bolts of how this church was being formed. Look at this in beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Save. there's a couple things that jumped out to me in this part of the passage. It says every day they continued meeting together. We're not even asking you to meet together every day when we come back together. We're just saying, hey, a couple times a week when we gather together on Sunday mornings and we get together in G groups. I see groups that are taking place here in this passage in Acts chapter two as they, they met together in homes and they broke bread together. I see fellowship taking place. I see them beginning to to, to grow in God's word as they meet together in the temple and they grow in the knowledge and the wisdom of God's word together. They worshiped and praised God, Scripture says, and they gave generously. And as they did that, in response to all that was taking place, God continued to add to their numbers because there was unity in the body. They were meeting together and they were meeting needs. It was awesome. But as the church began to grow, they began to get disorganized and and needs began to get dropped and people began to get upset. Not in our church, that never happens where people get upset in our church, but in other churches, people get upset. And what happens is in Acts chapter 6, we see that they, they reshape and they reform and they reorganize the church and they bring on other leaders and they bring on other ministers who can help to to distribute the daily distribution of bread to those who are in need. And the apostles continue to pray and to teach and to proclaim the good news of God. And we see that in Acts chapter 15, they meet together to discuss doctrine and their beliefs and how the early church was really to wrestle with these things that were causing uh, disunity So they wrestled through these things, and they worked through these things, and they began to plant new churches in new communities, and they gave to missionaries who were traveling to start these new works. It's this amazing picture of what we're attempting to live out here at Generations Church. We're not a perfect church. By any stretch, there is no perfect church, because the church, our church and the global church, is filled with imperfect people, and it starts with me. I'm going to make mistakes, but what I, what I tell my kids in sports is if I'm going to make a mistake, let's make a mistake hustling, and so that's my heart. If I make a mistake in leadership in this church, I promise you it's not going to be out of a lack of sincerity or devotion to God. I'm going to make mistakes hustling. I'm going to make mistakes trying to figure out how do we advance the cause? How do we gather all of those who are far off from the gospel, all of those who need to know Jesus Christ? How do we gather them into this place, or how do we go to them to meet their needs? How do we reflect the diversity of heaven? How do we find those who are broken and hurting? And how do we give grace and mercy to those who need it, just as we once did ourselves? It's this incredible picture as we participate in church planting and giving to local and global missionaries and partners in ministry as we develop groups and teams and use the gifts of others to try to form this beautiful community called the church. So you might say, "Well, that's awesome." That's awesome what you're what you're talking about. I love it. And and if that's what's happening at our church, then that's really cool and I, and I love it. But what's happening right now is working for me too. I get to have my cake and eat it too. Like I get to watch a little bit of church online, but I still get to do it from the boat at the lake or wherever I'm at or I don't have to get up and get dressed up and look nice and I don't have to go and serve I don't really have to come and sit near people I don't know or I don't like. I get to do it in my living room. I get to do church in my pajamas, and all of those things are great. And maybe you'd say, like, well, then, then why do we have to gather together? What is it that we're anticipating? What is it that we're coming back together to do over the years in ministry and When I say that, it used to be just a few years, and now it's more and more years in ministry. We're coming up on 20 years in ministry. I know when you look at me, you think I have that boy face. There's no way I've been in ministry that long, but that's really why I wear this beard, because if not, I look like I'm a 12-year-old boy. Over the years in ministry, I've had a number of people who have asked a question similar to this. If I don't go to church, can I still go to heaven? Or maybe they would ask it this way, can I go to heaven without going to church? And my answer has always been the same. From the time I was 17, 18 years old traveling around preaching in churches and in youth groups to the time I became a youth pastor around 20, 21 in ministry in different forms and different capacities and then as a lead pastor over the last several years, my answer has always been the same when they asked me, can I go to heaven if I don't go to church? My answer has been something like this, well, probably so, but why would you want to? Because so much about heaven reflects so much about the earthly church. Now, the heavenly version will be a perfected version of what we're attempting to do here on the earth. But even in our brokenness, even in our sinfulness, even when we fall short, our attempt is to gather together and to worship and praise God and grow in knowledge and wisdom of who he is. And so my my answer has always been the same. Yeah, you can probably go to heaven without going to church, but why would you want to Let's gather together here for a specific purpose as it relates to why we gather. Now, maybe when you think about gathering, you think about worshiping, you think about fellowship, you think about relationship. All of those things are good. Maybe you think, this is the time that I learn God's word, I grow in wisdom in God's word, and all of those things are good. But look at this in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to meet together, but not always for the reasons that we think. Maybe it's it's worship that you think about, and that's awesome, but I encourage you to be worshiping on your own during the week. If the only time that you worship is on Sunday morning, At 9.15 or at 11 a.m., I believe you're missing an incredible opportunity to experience the presence of God on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Wednesday or a Friday. I believe you're missing an opportunity to have relationship with God in a personal and an intimate way throughout the week. If you say, well, when I come together, when we gather together in the church, that's the time that I open my Bible to learn what God is speaking to me. And I encourage you to do that. I mean, I gather together with you when we are in person or even in this format. And my hope is to present God's word to you. I never want it to just be my opinion or my soapbox, but that we're looking to God's word and we're trying to understand what God's word is speaking to us as a community. But realistically, you should be opening God's word individually throughout the week. The Sunday experiences should be almost like a birthday party where you're getting a little bit older every day, but on your birthday party, they give you cake and we celebrate together. Well, the same is true as, as what we're talking about here related to growing in God's word. Every single day, we should be opening God's word and growing together. And when we gather together, then we're encouraging one another with what we've learned, what we've been taught, and we're spurring one another on towards love and good deeds. We should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we need one another. That's been the part that probably breaks my heart the most over the last 12 or 13 weeks. I need you. And whether you believe it or not, I believe that you need me. Not as Pastor Jeremy, but just as Jeremy in your life. You need the people in your G groups. You need the people on your G teams. You need the people that sit near you and you kind of took for granted that, that they were just always there. You need the people that you bump into in the lobby. You need the people that you stand in line with as you're picking up your kids from our different kids' environments. You need the people that help you to park your car and they greeted you every single Sunday with a a high five or a handshake or a wave as you pulled in. We need one another. We need to be encouraged by one another. There's something vital that takes place when we meet together as the church. So what does the new church look like? I think it can look like a lot of things, but for the next few minutes, I just want to get really specific about what the new church looks like here at Generations Church. Now, I referenced this a little bit earlier, but I've been telling you over the last few weeks that we are ready to gather back together in person, and we really are getting close. If you're anything like me, you are so ready to be back together that every delay causes more frustration over the last two or three days, I probably haven't handled it as well as I, I should have. I've I've talked to my wife about it. I probably need to apologize to my kids, but I've been frustrated. I've just been frustrated about how slow this thing is taking. And and I told you a few weeks ago that originally we we closed our facility because of the coronavirus. And and there's still some some things that are at play in our communities. There's a close friend of ours that pastors a church and they opened just a few weeks ago and they had to reclose. This past week, and so they're not gathering together in person because of a new wave of outbreaks in their community and in the region of their state. We've seen that in a couple of different times and a couple of different places, both in Georgia and, and around the United States and in other places in the world, where people that come to church actually put each other at risk and then they see an outbreak in the church, and so they have to reclose the church for a season. And that's not our heart. And so we wanted to wait until we really felt like that was the best next step for us was to reopen our facility to in-person gatherings. But over the last few weeks, we felt like we probably were ready to take that step but we also realize that the room that I'm in, and I've said this over the last few weeks, it's not an excuse, it's just the reality with the, the guidelines that have been given to us, the recommendations that have been given to us, even as the governor has continued to loosen the restrictions and the guidelines for churches and other assemblies over the next few weeks, there's still a guideline in place and a recommendation in place that you can't gather more than 50 people unless you can spread them out by family or by household at least six feet apart. And so in the room that I'm in right now, as we started to lay out that scenario in this room, we recognize we didn't 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 even think we could get all the way to 50 people in this room because of moving the wall in to prepare it for our family ministry space during this construction season. And so we thought, okay, what we'll do is we'll wait until we can get into the new space downstairs. And we were supposed to be in several weeks ago, maybe even more than a month or so ago now. And that was our plan. And that's what our contractors have been working diligently to do. But our supplies have been delayed just like some of your supplies. I don't know if you've ordered anything online over the last few weeks or months, but some things that you used to be able to get in two days, it might take as much as a week, Some things that you used to get in about a week sometimes take two or three weeks. And so we have some of our equipment here. We have some of the supplies that the contractors need and some of the supplies that we need whenever we're ready to open our doors. But we also have some of our supplies that are sitting on a ship in the Pacific Ocean that were coming from Asia and they're still sitting in a boat on the water. And so we're waiting on our final inspection as the contractors are continuing to try to finish their work. And then when they finish, we've got some work to do to prepare the space for ministry in the way that we desire to serve you as we reopen our facilities. And so that day is coming. I promise you it is. And I don't just keep saying that, but I promise you nobody wants to gather back together more than me. But we're not ready yet. And so as we think about when that day is coming, what does that actually look like? When we come back together, we're going to meet in this amazing new space. And so many of you have been giving financially over the last few months to help make that new space a reality. We started last September in this capacity campaign to create more space, to serve more people. And man, the space is turning out better than we imagined. It is a beautiful space. I cannot wait for you to experience it. We're gonna do a walkthrough this week and send it out to you. You can see some of the spaces that you're going to get to enjoy in just a few short days or a few weeks to come. But as we think about that space, one of the cool ways that I want you to be a part of it is I want you to consider purchasing your chair. I want you to consider to purchase the chairs for your family, Now, this is not like maybe the little churches that some of us grew up in. I don't know if you were uh, ever exposed to this. Maybe when you walked in some of those churches when you were a little younger, you saw that there was like a gold plaque on the pew or on the chair that you sat in, and it had somebody's name that maybe you knew or maybe you didn't know. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not going to put a gold plaque or your name on any chair that you give toward purchasing. But we are asking you to participate. A number of you have been giving financially in a really generous way to help us to create this space. Others of you, you haven't yet jumped in to be a part of this giving campaign. And I encourage you, wherever you find yourself on either side of that equation, to consider giving to purchase your chair for your family. A donation of $50 buys a chair. So a family of four, it's $200. You can give it all at one time. You can give it over the next couple of weeks, but it helps to purchase your chair. So when you come in, you'll find a seat that you help to make a reality. Some of you, maybe evangelistically, maybe prophetically, you would give to purchase the chairs for someone that you're praying for and believing God. They're, they're far off, as we read earlier. And you're believing that God's going to call them home through the work of Generations Church, and they're going to enter into relationship with Him, and you're going to purchase the chair that they would one day come and fill. They would come and sit in that chair and be exposed to the love of God and the grace of God and corporate worship in God's Word, in this corporate setting. And so I encourage you to consider being a part of this and giving to purchase chairs over the next few days and weeks. And so we're preparing. We're getting ready. But can I remind you of this incredible truth? When we get into the new space, it isn't the finish line. It's just the next chapter in the story that God is writing here at Generations Church. I shared a part of this back in September, but last summer the Lord dropped this passage into my heart. It's Isaiah chapter 54, verses 2 and 3, and it says this. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left, and your descendants will dispossess the nations and settle in their desolate cities. So we're enlarging the place of our tent And we're stretching out wide and we're strengthening our stakes or our systems and our teams and our leadership for what's next as we spread out to the right and to the left and we launch new locations of Generations Church. The first Sunday that we gather back together, that becomes a reality as we gather together in two locations. First, in person, here at our physical location off Riverstone Parkway, off Bluffs. But we also will be gathered together online. We're not going to stop what we're doing online. There are are a number of you Who say, hey, even when we open, for a lot of reasons, we won't be able to join you yet. But we also know, as I said earlier in the message, that there are a number of people who have come to find community and to find life through the ministry of Generations Church online. They may never darken the doors of a physical location of our church, but they're connecting to us. And we're going to try to make it easier for people like that to join into G groups and to go to our digital discovery track and to participate in digital lobby experiences so they can continue to grow in community with one another two locations, on campus and online. But even as we think about what that looks like, we're not just going to stay in this place. We're going to spread out to the right and to the left so that we can take over nations and take over cities. We can go into those places with the hope of Jesus Christ that's available to people there. We aren't just trying to build one place that's big enough to house all of us in one place. That's never been the goal. It's never been the goal. We have to go to the people. We have to get close enough to their homes that we can help reach them where they are. I wrote about this on Facebook this morning, and some of you may have already seen it, but last night I had an amazing experience. Some of you have probably seen the news footage already of the protesters downtown Atlanta last night who closed down I-75, and eventually they set a Wendy's on fire. The night before, at that same Wendy's, there was a 27-year-old black man who was shot as he, uh, by the video that I watched, he... It looked like he stole a taser, took a taser from a police officer, began to run away. The police officer chased after him. At some point in the video, it looks like the man turns to shoot the taser back at the officer, and he was shot and killed. All I know is what I've seen with my own eyes, what I've heard of the narrative, but then I went back and watched with my own eyes. So I don't know all the details. I don't know everything that got them to that point. I just know that there's a family that's hurting today. I know that there's a group of friends who are missing their friend I know there's some police officers who have been suspended or fired. I know there's a police chief who stepped down or maybe was forced to do so. I know that there's a lot of turmoil. I know there's a lot of things that I can't answer for and I can't explain and nor would I even try today. But last night I was driving through downtown Atlanta and I didn't recognize, even though I knew about the incident from Friday night, I didn't know what was planned for Saturday night. And so I'm driving through downtown and eventually I came to a complete stop on I-75 the protesters had blocked the interstate, and the police were working to resolve that situation, and, and so I sat in my car. Eventually, we would be sitting there for two and a half or three hours, and as I sat there, eventually, people began to spill out of their cars. We were about a half a mile away or a little less from the Wendy's that was on fire. We could smell the smoke, and as I was sitting there in my car and people began to get out of their cars, I thought about the fact that over the last few weeks, I've been encouraged to listen and to learn. And so that's what I did. I just tried to listen and to learn. And when I began to listen, here's what I heard. I heard the cries of babies who mothers were trying to console because they were sitting in their cars for much longer than they ever envisioned. I listened as a Hispanic gentleman who was parked just in front of us who had driven all day from Miami began to give out fruit that he had picked himself that morning to those who were in their cars in case they were hungry after sitting there for so long i listened to three young african american women who were laughing they were the life of the party in the cars around us until they saw a police officer began to walk up the interstate just behind us and one of them saw him and their laughter turned to fear as they weren't sure what was taking place and you began to hear in in mumbling voices as they began to talk to one another get back in the car buckle up don't draw attention to yourself We don't want any trouble tonight. I listened to a bounty hunter that I got the opportunity to talk to who talked about the danger and the risk of his job as he chased after people who were running from the law. I listened to the police officer who said, Hey, we need to clear the way. There's an ambulance behind us, and they have a man who's literally bleeding out, and they're trying to get to Grady Hospital. And so I worked with others and we were there and we were trying to clear the way and to create a lane for that ambulance to be able to get that gentleman to the hospital so that he wouldn't die. And black people and white people and Hispanic people started working together and moving their cars to one side or another. We were helping one another. We were talking together. I watched as people of various races, ages, genders helped push a woman's car to the emergency lane when her car broke down. And I was confronted with this reality. You know, maybe sometimes we just need to quit watching the news and we just need to talk to the person in front of us. We just need to talk to the person in front of us. And quit worrying about all the other narratives. There are some real things that are taking place around us and they're scary and they're real and the conversations need to be had. But the other conversations that need to be had are the the ones with the people right in front of us. And that's what we did last night. And so I just listened, and I learned. But when I listened, do you know what I actually heard? I didn't hear all the conversations. I didn't hear the ambulance. I didn't hear the police sirens. I just listened. And when I listened, I actually heard groaning. Look at this. This is in the book of Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. And so we grow our faith to say, God, allow us to recognize that the glory to come will outweigh, will far surpass the present sufferings that we're experiencing right now. All creation is groaning. People are groaning. And if we'll open our ears, we'll hear it. But as Christ's followers, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We have hope that the glory to come surely surpasses what we're walking through right now. So what should we do? We should be the church. The church is not a building. The church is the ecclesia, the people of God. We were able to be the church last night, encouraging people, directing traffic, talking to people, helping people, loving people. Listen, I want to be back to get together as soon as possible, and I promise you that that day is coming. But until we meet as the church in the church, let's don't forget our job to be the church. Don't forget our job to be the church. The whole world is groaning. Let's give them hope. Let's show them hope. And in a few days, we'll invite them to come and be with us. Or maybe you share and invite them to come online to be with us. And in a few months, we'll celebrate as they get baptized. And in a few years, we'll start to build teams to send to another community to be the church to the people that live there. And over the next 12 years, we're going to do that over and over and over again as we look to open new physical locations of Generations Church in at least 10 different communities around us. I believe that's what God is calling our church to do. We, Generations Church, aren't the only solution to the problems going on in the world, but we are a part of the solution because we have hope. And we put our hope in front of us. we say, this is the hope that's available to you. The hope of Jesus Christ. There is a glory to come. The new church should more and more reflect the bride of Christ experiencing worship with Jesus Christ, its Savior. That's what we're about. That's what we're attempting to do. And that's what we're going to chase after. And we're going to make mistakes. But if we make mistakes, we're going to make them hustling. We're going to chase after more of God and more of his presence. We're going to chase after... Going after those who are far off. We're going to try to serve people better than we've been serving people. We're going to try to love people better than we've been loving people. And my commitment to you is that in this new normal, we will have a new church. And my hope is that you'll go with us. I recognize that not, may not be the reality for every person, but the days are running short. And the shorter the days, the shorter the time, the more urgent the calling to love people, to serve people, to point them to Jesus, to be the church. I'm gonna ask you right where you're at just to close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment. You're sitting in your living room. You're somewhere on vacation today. You just take a moment of personal reflection between you and God. Nobody's looking around where you're at. I'm asking everyone there just to participate in this moment of response. And if you would say to me, Jeremy, I know for me what I need to do. I'm one of those people who's far off. And I need to accept the free gift of salvation. And I need to ask God to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand right now, we want to pray for you. Maybe you click the button that's available there in the chat to respond. Click that link. Allow us to follow up with you and pray with you. Maybe you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, I'm in. I want to be a part of the new church. I want to be a part of what God is doing in the earth in this days of groaning. If that's you, would you just lift your hand just as a sign of commitment? Hey, I'm in, whatever it looks like. I'm saying yes to God without even fully understanding all that will be required of me. New creation, new community, new commitment, new church. These are the things in a new normal. God, I love you. And I thank you today for all that you're doing among us. And God, I ask you now in this moment to forge in our heart a sense of urgency to be about your kingdom work in the earth. God, I pray now for those who lifted their hand, they've responded because they know their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. They feel far off from you. And so God, I pray that not only would you save them, but would you change the generations to come after them. I believe that's what your word tells us can happen. God, we thank you for the story that will be written in their lives as they trust you more and more, beginning right now. God, I pray for those who say, I'm in. God, start with me as we commit ourselves to being a part of the new church, making a new commitment in this new normal. God, the earth is groaning. Let us listen with your ears and let us respond in kind. God, we thank you that we are the hope of the world because we point people to you. In Jesus' name we pray.